0: to order then um Anya Sch- Schutz am I pronouncing that
1: correct
0: Schutz. Schutz excuse mm-hmm. me I just got back from Germany I should have
1: sort of brushed pronunci- up on your lessons
0: <laughs> um Anya Schutz thank you so much for joining me today um and I want to give a little context here for anybody who's listening to this you and I have kind of known each other now over text for how long
1: uh, almost two years No, actually two years, two years.
0: Two years. So like, right, I remember you texting me during the pandemic, um, sort of early on when we were still all locked down. Um, And you reached out to me because I think we we have a mutual friend in Sarah Snyder, is that correct?
1: Yes. So she actually put us together over email because she knew that you had a similar experience to what I was going through.
0: Right, right. And um, yeah, and so just... To, just to cut to the chase, your mom was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, um, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, if I, I think I pronounced that correctly. I didn't get the German right, but I think I got that right. got the harder thing correct.
1: You speak um, science.
0: That's good. Um, and we started texting and um, just sort of, uh, and your mom at the time had just been diagnosed and she's since passed away. About how long ago did she pass away? Uh,
1: she died in September of 2020.
0: Okay. All right. Um and I kind of uh, want to allow us and you to use this time however we see fit. Um, I think you and I have a shared experience here. My dad passed away of Lou Gehrig's disease, and his sister, my aunt, also passed away. I think in similar ways, like I think it manifested in my aunt in the same way it did with your mom, with the neck and all that stuff. We were texting a little bit the other night. Um, but I, I kind of want to just start at the beginning a little bit with you before we get into the 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 shitty reason we got together. I kind of want to just <laughs> give you a little background of who you are. You are a visual artist. Um, yes. and, uh, as soon as you, as Sarah reached out, I was like, well, let me just see who this, who this lady is. And I looked at her and I was like, Jesus Christ, she's a badass!" Um, <laughs> and so can, can you just tell me a little bit about, about, about baby Anya and like what got you into fo- photo- like photography and like staging and all of the sort of visual stuff that you do. And then we'll, we'll sort of dive into the deep end later.
1: Yeah. So, um, I was just one of those kids who never wanted to do anything when they grew up aside from art. So, um, you know, never wanted to be a doctor, never wanted to save the world in any way. Uh, I was either always outside running around the woods or I was in my room making stuff. Um, Mm. And the photography came along because I was you know, knocking around my parents' house one day and I found my dad's old, uh, mat or Nickermat. Don't even know how that's pronounced. Um,
0: Nickermat, So
1: it's Nickermatt. a Nikon type camera. Um, Oh, oh it's
0: a brand. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It is a Nikon, but it was called a Nickermat. It was one of their models. Um, sorry, I'm not ignoring
0: so, you. I'm just writing stuff down. <laughs> I'm just right. just... I
1: mean, if, if you're bored, you can just watch TV. Uh, <laughs> I'll keep talking. Um, So I found his old camera from the 70s, and in it was a roll of film that had expired in 1983, and this was like 1994, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I found a little camera manual, and I taught myself how to use a manual camera, and uh, hit the ground running. That was it, so... um, What kind of stuff did
0: your dad... So this is your dad's camera. Was he a, was he an amateur photographer or did he do it? Yeah, he
1: was just a, you know, for funsies kind of guy. Uh, he had it for travel, I think, mainly. Yeah. Um, did didn't he, really have any dark room or, you know, anything okay. like that. It was all just, you know, take it down to CVS and have it processed kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, for some reason it was just exactly the thing that caught me. So, um you know, that was eighth grade, then a ninth grade. Uh, we lived in Germany for a year and mm-hmm. I did a little, um, dark room intro workshop, um, and was hooked. So that's it.
0: Well, uh, where do we're, what did your parents do for a living? Like where uh, did you grow up in an artistic family or was, was this just sort of, you were the, the black sheep in the family?
1: No. So, um, my parents were both linguists. Um, mm-hmm. My father was a um, professor for Scandinavian studies, uh, which included the Nordic languages, but also um, dead languages, old Icelandic. Um, he also delved deeply into um, Norse mythology and um, yeah. kind of old Saxon Conversion to Christianity, that kind of stuff. Um, he's just one of those all around insanely brilliant people. Uh my mother was a professor for Germanics at Amherst College. And um sorry, is that loud, that sawing noise? No. Um all good. And uh she just loved music, loved opera. Um in our household, we are only allowed to listen to PBS and I mean, watch PBS and listen to NPR. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So, you know, it's all classical music in my background and jazz and that kind of stuff. Um, And my sister from a very young age was an extremely gifted violinist. Um, She didn't end up pursuing that um, professionally, but it's, it's her big passion in life.
0: Hmm. And what does she do now?
1: She is a, (laughs) <laughs> She's a lawyer for international arbitration. Uh, she lives in London and works at one of the big firms there.
2: Wow, okay.
1: So in in that regard, I am the black sheep because I barely graduated high school. I skipped all my classes to be in the dark room, um, never finished my bachelor's, that That's, kind of jazz.
0: Sounds more normal. than. I mean, the older I get, the more people I talk to. That sounds like as normal a path as finishing college almost these days like yeah I
1: think certainly but I think you know my parents for a long time I think they really put value in a college education mm -hmm. and kind of taking a straight narrow path in life um and it was only actually in my mom's last few years where I returned to photography I'd kind of left it behind for a long time Mm -hmm. um that she really kind of Supported my return to art and really threw herself wholeheartedly behind it, uh, and she really ended up my biggest champion and fan. So mm.
2: um,
1: that was another hard was, pill to swallow when she died.
0: What well, was there? Um, was there? I don't mean for this to be digging too deep, but was there a sense that, like, was there a like a feeling from you that she didn't support your art before she got sick, or that there was just a, it was more complicated, and something about getting sick made it.
1: No, I mean, she, she started supporting it before she got sick. I I might've phrased that wrong, but, um, you know, when I first left high school, I went to this truly shitty (laughs) technical school called Hallmark Institute of Photography that no longer exists. Mm -hmm. Um, I went there because I really didn't have any other options. My grades were so bad that Mm -hmm. it was a school that would take my money and take me. So I went, um, Mm -hmm the value I got from that school was that I did learn to be extremely technically proficient in photography. Mm -hmm. Um, but they were really set up for you to kind of open up your own portrait studio in the woods somewhere or Mm -hmm. work at Sears as a photographer. Like it was very much a business thing and not an arts thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but it gave me the opportunity to, pardon me, move to New York city when I was 19 and try to, um, break into the photography industry there, um, which ultimately actually led to me leaving photography behind for 13 years. But um, initially, I think that my parents saw my art as maybe escapism or not Mm -hmm. really a viable way to make a living. Mm -hmm. And I think, weirdly, uh, social media helped both my own return to photography but also my mother seeing how serious I was about it and seeing the reactions of people Mm. who saw my work, um, to kind of give her the idea that what I was doing was actually viable and, um, interesting. And yeah, so once I think she realized that I was at a point in my life where really at this point in all likelihood, I will always have a real job and then I'll do photography on the side, she was able to say, okay, Anya can feed herself, Anya can, you know, pay her mortgage, Anya can, you know, do all these things, Mm -hmm. but also, she has this world that she can move in and create that is interesting, so.
0: I mean, that's, as you were talking, it's like one of the things that, you know, my dad, similarly, you know, he was a big, he was big on the internet, like he was you know, always posting like just dumb memes and sending. Like, he, he was the guy that was sending like the inappropriate emails about Obama or whatever. Like he just said, yeah, you know, he, he would just carpet bomb all of his friends with just like stuff. But this was like 2009, he passed away. So this was like really pre social media being a large driver in society in, in the way that it is now, 13 years later. Um, and I think he would have really enjoyed seeing a lot of, like, being able to, like, watch me play a live show in Germany. You know, like, that's Mm -hmm. something that he just never, was never even in the zeitgeist that that was a possibility. And so I think that would, not that it would have, like, reaffirmed what I was doing in his eyes, but, like, I think, you know, he was a guy, he he was always mad at me, like, if I traveled somewhere and didn't take pictures. He was really pissed. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, he loved seeing other places. But, well, I I want to go back. Like, you said you moved to New York City at 19 years old.
2: Yes.
0: I, I think for anybody doing anything at 19, let alone deciding to move to New York City to be a photographer, that's like, <laughs> <laughs> you may as well be like, I'm going to move to LA and join the Lakers and play with LeBron. Like, that's sort that of. That was
1: my other choice. I'm really tall, so it was that <laughs> I, or photography.
0: I mean, that just seems sort of like a batshit crazy thing to do, but, you know, there are people who just decide to do that, and you did that. But then, like, you left, you said you left photography then for 13 years. Yeah, and that I'm curious because I don't know your photography pre past 13 years I only know what you've been doing recently like Mm -hmm. if I were to just call balls and strikes what I'm seeing now out of your your work is um, like if you squint at all of your work there's a very it all makes sense together like there's a like in terms of the tones you use the like a lot of muted earth tones and sort of uh, pastel isn't the right word that's not even anywhere close to the right word but like (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, uh, yeah. But, and there's always, it's like people often nude uh, or partially nude. Like there's a, there's a very clear sort of uh, vision there that I I, I, I can track. What was mm-hmm. your, was your stuff prior to the 13 years different or like?
1: Well, I think that, you know, photography was this incredible passion I had and I felt compelled to leave it uh, after some Negative experiences in New York, uh, which I'll go into in a second, but I at the time really thought that photography was over and that it had been this important phase, but just a phase. And I wasn't an artist. I was, you know, who knows? You know, I I really did lose myself for a while. And um, the fact that I was able to come back to it, uh, I think. coming back to it I was able to do it on my own terms. And then I was able to reject a lot of things that I'd learned at photography school and just really go out on my own. Mm -hmm. And it, um, to this day, my, my reawakening of this is so precious to me that I will really only work on stuff that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. Hence also having a full-time job because Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm not just doing every project that comes up, like I, I, it needs to resonate with me. I need to have, um, some sort of connection to the person who's working with me. Mm -hmm. Um, so yes, I think that young Anya urgently did, uh, and probably would have continued to just kind of be more, um, uh, commercially minded, I guess. Cause I thought I was going to be a photographer and this is what I'm doing with my life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so I would have just done and picked up anything in order to make money. Uh, and now, and now it's just, no, like I am extremely choosy. Um, and, you know, increasingly, interestingly, I'm, I'm moving around a lot in your circles, you know, working with mm-hmm. a lot of your peers, uh, mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. album art and, you know, publicity work with them. So, uh, it's been really fun to do that because I think those are people that I can really kind of collaborate with in that in that sort of way. That's comfortable for me.
0: One of the things that you're, as you were laying out your path, like I, I was, like the the red flags that were popping up for me in terms of my young, my youth, thirteen years ago, Josh. Like when I'm in, when I was in school, you know, and and they tell you things like do not use parallel fifths or parallel octaves when writing Bach chorales. It's like, you're just like, well, I guess that's a rule. And okay, if I do it, then somebody's going to probably get hit by a truck or something. So I won't (laughs) do that, you know? And then you get out there and you realize that, like, actually most of the people, composers in the world outside of Bach, use a lot of, even Bach himself. Like, so this idea that, like, wait a minute, you can just... I'm now at 42. I wish that I could go back to school and sort of retake all those classes because I would. I now know exactly what I want to get out of them mm-hmm. or like what the intent, like we weren't seeking what Bach sought. We were seeking Bach, you know, like Bach right. was doing something at the time and he was breaking his, and so I want to go back and sort of, I wish I could go back and, you know, I'd be curious now. How old are you, Anya, if you don't mind me asking?
1: We're actually exactly the same 42. age.
0: 42, yeah. Like mm-hmm. if you could go back to that, to what would you say, Hallmark and like all the negativity aside and just be like, all right, now I got my scalpel out. What is the one thing I need to take from here? I didn't get the last, like from an educational standpoint, like I feel like that would be an interesting college to open up, be like you, you come to college. You could, you have to be 42 years or older.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the have. interesting thing is because this was a technical school I was there with a lot of people mm-hmm. who at the time seemed old, but are now, you know, I'm that person.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so there were a lot of career change people who came to the school and, um, You know, here's the deal with me, is I've never been good uh, at following orders and listening to people, so I was never a good student to begin with, and I think now, if I were to go back and retake those classes knowing what I know, Mm -hmm. I would probably be a much bigger pain in the ass than I was even then.
0: (laughs) You would definitely not go to any classes.
1: (laughs) No, no, I'd just be like, you know what, and here's the thing, is like every now and then I'll mentor a young photographer, and I'm like... My favorite. So there was one single thing I learned at homework that I really, really appreciate mm-hmm. and that I tell almost every single person. Uh, there was this at the time seemingly stupid, stupid assignment we had to go do, which was, you know, we were let outside by the teacher and the teacher threw hula hoops in the grass and said, photograph anything inside this hula hoop. And we're all standing there being like, what the fuck is this? This is a hula hoop in the grass. Like we're going to be photographing grass. This is bullshit. But, you know, we had the whole class to do it. And what eventually started happening is that, you know, some people got down on their bellies or some people, you know, Mm -hmm. um, took super close up shots or, you know, directly from above or from the side. And, you know, none of us ended up with impressive pictures because it ended up being pictures of grass, but, um what was really interesting is that it made it click in my head that every single person in the world sees the world very, very differently. And if you have 10 people with a camera who are all taking a picture of the leaning tower of Pisa or God knows what you're going to have 10 different pictures Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because everyone is capturing their own reality. And I find that so profoundly beautiful. And that's why I find photography or truly any art form. So impressive is that this is a direct translation of your experience in life. And that's magnificent. Yeah,
0: you know, it's one, one of the, uh, I was listening to a podcast with Neil deGrasse Tyson and he was talking about how the eyes are the, your eyes are, are actually part of your brain. Like they mm-hmm. are, it's not, they're not two separate organs. It's like the, your eyes come directly out of your brain. And so like when you think about your eyes as like this sort of portal to the, to, to the world or whatever, like your photography is like, you're staring right into somebody's brain, literally Mm -hmm. like, like it's, it is your window that you've seen, you frame something and this, 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 uh, hula hoop thing is like an amazing exercise in limitations. And like what, when you have, and maybe this is a, maybe a clunky segue into what, what the the impetus for the two of us getting together um, is this idea of, like, massive limitations. And I'm curious for you, um, just to maybe transition a little bit into talking about your mom and, and, you know, my dad and and whatnot. Um, As someone who doesn't deal with authority and rules, and and I would say that I kind of, I grew up in a household that was a lot of authority. My mom, I wouldn't say my mom was an authoritarian, but there was, because that has a lot of negative, but there was, like, there, was a, there were th- finely worn grooves in our lives that we all sort of like, you, you, you just don't deviate. Like, we got shit to do. Like, I got to get to school by seven? Like, don't fuck around, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that went out the window the minute my dad was diagnosed with ALS, and when I, but, it, but not immediate. What it did was just sort of drive a huge wedge in the psyche of our family, in the way that my mom could operate. She, was a, she really felt like control was the way that she got peace. She Mm -hmm. grew up in a very chaotic household, Um, alcoholism, a lot of sort of just... So for her, this like, all right, I finally got a fucking grip on my life. Then my dad gets diagnosed with ALS, which has no cure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely, I don't know, it may manifest in a million different ways. It might be three years, it might be Stephen Hawking for 20 years, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it all of a sudden was this massive yoke around your way of doing things. And I'm kind of curious, as a place to start, like... Can you tell me a little bit about like the lead up to your mom's diagnosis and like what what were the conversations going on around before the words ALS even got into the entered your house before that word even became part something you had to google and be like amyotrophic sclerosis or trophic like can you just tell me a little bit about that time period uh,
1: well so my mom was definitely the one in control uh, in our family as well um, my father just you know, also a very strong individual, but he was happy to let her take the reins. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so uh, March 2020, mm-hmm. we were in Germany for my father's 80th birthday. And um, of course, you know, COVID broke out or had already broken out, but it mm-hmm. wasn't really a thing anyone understood yet. Uh, right. Not that we're any better now, but yeah, um, and so, you know, we were in Germany celebrating my father's birthday and trying to travel to all these different places, which continually kept getting closed down because there was this thing called COVID happening and there mm. were all these hot spots. And um, we had to end up essentially packing up and leaving because Trump put the travel ban, you know, mm. into effect. And uh, so the only reason I bring this up is that we spent about a week there, and my mother has always had this thing of we go somewhere and then we just walk forever. We walk up hills, down hills, through churches, you know, just everywhere. Walk, 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 walk. And in my experience in March, she was fine. Like, we walked up to a cathedral at the top of this insane hill, and we ended up taking like 17,000 steps to get up and back down.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, she handled it like a pro is totally okay. Uh, we had to come back to the U S. Um, and then of course, you know, lockdown happened. And so I only saw my parents over zoom for a couple months.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so then over zoom, you know, my mother would say things like, well, you know, we were, um, at the neighbor's house down the Hill, you know, for dinner last night. And, the strangest thing happened. Like I had such a hard time coming back up. I was just so out of breath and out of like, I was exhausted. And, you know, they live on a small street. Uh, they've lived there for decades. They know all their neighbors. They're very close with all of them. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Now this is in Germany or is this here? In the this States?
1: is back here in the U S okay. uh, okay. in Helen, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so I would think, Oh, well that's weird. You know, maybe a little cold, you know, hopefully not COVID, Um, and then she started talking about how, when she stood up, she had a weird experience where she couldn't support her neck, like her neck kind of kept falling forward. And when she sat down, it was fine. It was just when she was trying to cook or, you know, when she was in the garden. And so that was strange. Uh, and you know, they started calling doctors and you couldn't see doctors face to face. Mm -hmm. You know, you could only do these telemedicine things and, um, so, you know, it's like, well, maybe she has a bone spur in her neck or maybe this, maybe that, who knows. Um, and then it got to the point where she just was super easily fatigued. And this was in like mid-May. And uh, she has a huge garden that she's always taking such good care of. And um, at that point, I started seeing them again. And I'd work out in the garden with her well, actually I came and worked in the garden with her once Mm -hmm. and I was weeding something and I turn around and she's on the ground. Mm. And I'm like, well, mama, what happened? You know? And, and she said, well, I I don't know. I just fell. And so then I got her something to sit on and she just sat there and, you know, kind of pointed out where she wanted me to work. And then by the next visit, she's like, I'm, I'm not going to follow you out in the garden. I'm just gonna, you know, tell you uh, where I want you to do some work. And, you know, she'd stay inside, and I would, you know, text her pictures of, you know, is this a weed? Is this a weed? You know, what do I do here? And she would answer. And, you know, it was still at the time pretty funny because we had no idea what was happening, you know. And mm-hmm. um, so finally, uh, after a visit, I drove home, and I got a phone call from my dad. And he said, you know, your mother fell. And she hit her head on the on the chimney, like, mm-hmm. or you know, the... Mm-hmm. The space behind the fireplace, whatever that's called. Um, and I can't get her up. And so I, you know, said, okay, you know, I live half an hour away and I said, just hang on. Like I'm on my way back. And on the way down, I called the neighbors and I just said, you know, mama fell down, you know, do you think you could go help out? And by the time I got down there, they had gotten her sitting up and, you know, in a chair and, um, and by that time, we were just like, okay, what gives? What is happening? Why is this happening to her? And um, that was maybe early June. Mm-hmm. We finally got her in July. We got her an, um, an appointment with um, kind of a spine and sports, pardon me, injury kind of place.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they were like, yes, she definitely has a neck spur. Like, she's going to get a cortisone shot. She'll be fine. you know. And so we're like, yay, everything's great. Um, and by that time, she was really bent over when she was walking. I mean, she was just like, you know, like this, almost like, um, you know, people who have mm-hmm. osteoporosis mm-hmm. and they get that curve in their back. Like, that was what her posture was.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but, you know, yay, okay, cortisone shot. And something just didn't quite sit right with me. Like, something just did not feel right. And we... I have a friend who also lives in Pelham who's just one of those super helpful people. And she just said, well, you know, I have this friend who's a retired neurologist. Why don't you talk to him? You know, and he was this guy who let me call him and I had this conversation with him. And I mean, he was just a saint, you know, he, he took the time. He didn't care that, you know, I was dragging him back in the world of medicine when he was retired. Um, So we talked for about an hour and he was like, well, you know, it could be myasthenia gravis, which is another neurological thing, but very much not terminal. Um, you know, so, you know, just keep an eye on it, like definitely make an appointment with a, with a practicing neurologist. So I started calling neurology doctors in the Valley, trying to get, uh, get a, an appointment. Um, and eventually I was talking to Herb again, uh, on on the phone that the neurologist and um you know he's just like you know how are things progressing and i said well not good you know we we really aren't getting any answers and so he finally said is she having trouble swallowing and just a few days before like she started complaining about how when she eats like things get caught in her throat and Mm -hmm. um and i said well yeah yeah that just started happening and he said good this means that you can drive her out to mass general, which has the best neurology department in the country, apparently, um, take her to the ER and say, she's choking and they have to admit her. And so that's what we did. Um, my father and I drove her out to Boston, which was a whole fraught experience in and of itself, uh, for various reasons, but we got her there and she got admitted. And, um, you know, at that point there was this, this relief and a feeling of levity. And, you know, my father and I rented a hotel room and, you know, I remember we went out to buy some dinner and we got a bottle of wine and we were hanging out in the hotel room and just so excited that my mom was finally getting help and we'd finally have some answers and, 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 Mm -hmm. um, and then about a week later we found out it was definitively ALS. So, um, what was we, the,
0: what was the test that they did? Um, I remember with my dad, he was diagnosed with Lyme disease for a long time prior.
1: Yes. I, I was listening to your, your, um, episode and that was actually a thing with my mom too, where they were saying, well, it must be Lyme. It must be Lyme. There's a lot. I anyway, anyways, sorry. The so, symptoms yeah. are
0: very similar, like joint pain, sometimes a drop foot um mm-hmm. some local paralysis, things like that. Um, He was on IV meds for like six months, like, you know, Um, but then they did something where they like they they run an electronic an electrical stimulus through your body and through different parts of your body to see what the response time is. And Mm -hmm. with him, they were tracking that it was like, oh, wow, this is getting slower and slower over time. And so like what what was the test that was again, that was like 13 years ago or whatever. Like, yeah, you know,
1: I actually don't know because COVID complicated everything and we weren't allowed to you know, visit her during exams. We weren't allowed Mm -hmm. to, um, you know, only one of us were allowed to go in to be with her at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, they did very, very kindly make an exception when we got the news that it was ALS and that she was going to die. Um, but other than that, um, you know, my, my, my parents, you know, I like to say that I am German and was raised in New England. Like, there is just the amount of stoicism in this damn family is stupid. Like, we don't talk about feelings. We don't talk about, um, mm-hmm. you know, so when I asked my mother, like, well, you know, what are they doing? What are they, you know, like, she would minimize the information just because, you know, like, it couldn't possibly interest me, and it doesn't matter, and, you know, mm-hmm. like, just the just the bare details. So um, I actually don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know what they did to find out. I don't
0: know. Um, so this is June. You said this is June. of. No,
1: this was in or, August,
0: August. Okay, so but, she
1: wasn't able to be admitted to the hospital until August.
0: But still so relative, rel, just if like in terms of the normal progression of ALS, and when I say normal, mm-hmm. that's even with, a, that's a very broad brush. Yes. By yeah. and large, most ALS cases are anywhere between two and like four years on average and Stephen Mm -hmm. Hawking is a major outlier um I think he lived with it for like 19 years 18 or 19 years I
1: think it was longer like it was just an obscene amount of time
0: yeah and so but with your mom like you know noticing symptoms in March of 2020 and then being admitted in August of 2020 um that's a very quick progression and um the neck drop was something my aunt that's how it manifested with her, um, slurring of speech. Wasn't so much until the very, very end. Um, and then basically full paralysis. Like what was the progression from when your mom, from the, from the diagnosis in August, like then what was the next phase of, of how that progressed?
1: Um, one quick correction, just because it's notable, her symptoms started in May. So it was like super fast. Well, March
0: is when you were visiting them in Germany.
1: Yes. Yep. Okay, and and okay, right. everything seemed fine at the time. Um, so the progression really like she never had the drop foot. Um, her symptoms, apparently there is a third way that ALS can manifest itself or appear. And that is through the diaphragm first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so depending on your age for when you become symptomatic, and depending on where in your body it starts, that actually determines how quickly this will kill you. Um, and so, you know, my mother being over seventy, and uh, it beginning in her diaphragm, which affects your breathing, like that determines that it will be on the faster end. You know, um,
0: let me just lay out real quick. So, like if if you know if you have no idea what ALS is, and you only know of it because of the baseball player. Basically, the, nuts, the nickel and dime tour of ALS is that your spinal cord slowly atrophies and scars over with scar tissue slowly. And See, again, I
1: didn't even know that until I heard your episode.
0: And where that happens in your body is, is then indicative of what is going to be shut down first. So with my dad, where the scarring happened to be taking place in his body affected his left foot, and then it went up to his left arm and then his right foot and then his right arm. So it was like very systematic. Like you could sort of mm-hmm. just see the countdown happening. And then it, then it got to his throat and like his swallowing and his speech. And then it la- the last thing with him was um, the diaphragm. Like that was kind of the last thing with him that went. And so
2: yeah.
0: anyway, just to say like if you this, this is a very slow scarring of, and it, and it causes paralysis of, it just causes those muscles to shut down and you can't even blink. Like mm-hmm. it's, like literally anything that causes you that you need to open or move in your body shuts down, but it does yeah. not affect your mental acuity. It's not like no. Alzheimer's or anything. So you are still in there, but which is terrible just, just to put a very dark, like you are inside this shell and it's,
1: yeah. yeah. And you know, my mother was just such a dignified person and so independent. And I mean, this was, Literally, the worst way she could possibly die was just becoming a prisoner in her body. Mm-hmm. Awful. I mean, it's 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 terrible for anyone, but it gives me so much pain when I think that this happened to my mom. Well, what...
0: If you don't mind me asking, and again, like anything I ask you here today, I mean, we've texted some really dark stuff that, that we'll, yeah, I mean, we'll, keep, we'll keep off anything. the record. I really don't like, care. <laughs> if there's anything that's too personal, just please tell me to shut up and ask the next yeah. question. But like what... For you personally, let's forget about your mom or your dad for a second, even though that's nearly impossible in this context. like what was your very first memory or thought or reaction to hearing that news? like what was the selfish thing you felt? what was the angry thing you felt? What was the empathetic, the compassionate? What was the thing you felt that you were like, "I had no idea I could feel that." That is weird for me. Like what can you talk about that moment for you?
1: I think just honestly sitting in the, um, hospital room, the whole thing was surreal because my parents, like the, the doctor that she had was Swiss and my parents were so excited that they, like, they love Switzerland. They love Europe. (laughs) They, you know, so it was just like a good omen probably in a way that they had this, you know, expert from, from Switzerland and, um, stop oh my god my cat is (laughs) really attacking me right now um but so you know even the 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 moment of sitting in this room about to hear this news the fact that the swiss doctor walked in was like this is great this is fun Mm -hmm. and then it's like well actually you know so it was it was like the roller coaster of the cheeriness to like holy shit what uh was so extreme and i i i mean i think to this day just the fact that my mom of all people could die and not be here it, it fucking makes no sense i mean she is still like she is as an entity still so alive to me because she was mm-hmm. just such a strong person like, my best friend died of cancer a few months before um, this whole ALS thing started. And I mean, she's been my best friend since high school. And I had the anger, I had the grief. Uh, I think about her all the time, mm-hmm. and I can feel who she is. But my mom, that is amplified so much. Mm-hmm. I talk to her in my head, mm-hmm. you know, the part of me that is her response you know like it is she's just so so it's really just
2: can
0: i be honest with you right now?
1: What? Yes.
0: I had a very irrational selfish reaction when you just said the thing about like i hear her voice. You know what i thought in my head and i'm i'm going to apologize ahead of time. At least you remember the sound of her voice and what she actually sounded like. You know so anyway, like Yeah. Like no, I, it, I i don't know. Not. I can't actually remember what my dad sounded like what his voice sounded like cuz like, if I'd have gone back, I wish I could go back and record conversations just so... Because, this vo- like, it really affected his speech a lot. And, mm-hmm. like, I couldn't... There was this very wheezy sort of, like, strained... Everything was strained, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah. this idea of the voice and the primacy of that, especially your mother's voice, like, that being... Again, so I apologize for having that reaction, but I just wanted to sort of, like... like No, we're, this we're, is a
1: conversation. We're in a shared space here of, of irrational
0: yeah. reactions. But, like, that... A lot of the stuff you're describing, like, it just, banality is is a weird word for me. Like, or is is the word that keeps coming to mind. Like, we all talk about these moments of, like, intense trauma. Yes, there are. Sometimes sometimes you're actually in a burning building and it's terrifying. But, like, sometimes Mm -hmm. somebody tells you that the building's on fire, but you look around and you're like, but it's not, right? And the next, like, for my mom, she went to a Walmart, found a heads-up penny. Like was like, it's gonna be okay. Like for her, that was like, it wasn't a big blow-up trauma moment. It was like, oh, this penny's gonna get me to the car. Mm-hmm. My dad, my dad got diagnosed and he was like, my mom's like, what do you want to do? And he's like, I'm gonna go to work. You've wow. come to work to sell trucks, you know? Like, like, you know, but back to you and your mom, like this this moment of being told this news. Like I'm uh, to me, what's interesting is the next like thirty minutes, like after that, like, what is the thing that happened? like what was your dad's reaction? What was your like did, what did you just go get ice cream? Like like
1: you know, no. I- Yeah, uh, so what what really strikes me is just that my mom was so calm hmm. when we were all in that room and, and we got that news. She was just so calm and like weirdly gentle about it, I can't imagine what she must've been feeling inside, or maybe part of her knew that whatever was happening was not going to end well. Mm -hmm. Um, so I remember in the moment of, you know, despite being like having the world drop out from under my feet, just looking at her and just being amazed at how calmly she was taking this news. Um, my father, honestly, I don't really remember much of his reaction in the hotel uh, in the hospital room
2: mm-hmm.
1: um it's after that so we got the news all together and then I had to leave because really there was only supposed to be one visitor at a time and so I went down and I bought us some fucking sandwiches for lunch uh, while he was visiting and I waited for him in a little park next to the the hospital building and he eventually joined me and he broke down and cried, and you know this is a man I've seen cry once before in my life.
0: Germans One do not cry, time. Anya.
1: Well, not only <laughs> is he German, like yeah. basically all my ancestry is like German, German, Swiss, but
2: mm-hmm.
1: he's German, but also grew up in Bakersfield, California, um, in the fifties during a time where you don't express your feelings if you're a man, you know, mm-hmm. so. That's been his
2: mm-hmm.
1: ethos, his entire life. And, you know, surprisingly, finally, over the past maybe seven months, he has started talking about his feelings, which I've never experienced before.
0: Well, it's got to be a weird thing. I mean, this is, I mean, I'm only 42 and like, you know, it's like you, you see your parents like, yeah, they have kids. Do you have brothers or sisters?
1: I have one sister, yeah. Yeah. So, like, so you got a sister. Dancing fancy lawyer.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah. And so like you, <laughs> you think about like your, your mom and dad as this like institution, but it's like your dad, like that's your dad's girlfriend.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah. I, like, know. I mean, that, they went that... on
0: a date and he said he would, he went home after the first date and was like, I wonder if she's in, should I call her? Like, like, like yeah. and now she's, now she's dying. And like, that's yeah. that he's still 18 years old. He's just a 70 year old version of that. And like, he's a 2 year
1: old version of that. Yeah, yeah. And
0: like, just, I can't like, you don't, you don't, that sort of stuff doesn't go away. You don't get like, great at handling trauma you just sort of like (laughs) you actually probably get worse at it you just get better at burying it deep you know
1: yeah and and, you know i mean yeah she's she's been his person for decades Mm -hmm. and now that person's completely gone you know she was this person that he kind of you know she was the camp director she got to take us on the trip she got to boss us around she got to and he was happy to let her and now that north star is gone Mm-hmm. what the fuck do you do as an 80, 80 year old at the time when all of a sudden that person is gone?
0: I don't know. I mean that, yeah. I mean, uh, can we, can you, let's go a little. So like, yes, the, the banality of it, the shock happens. You sort of, you go buy sandwiches or you get your heads up penny or you do the thing, but then eventually the storm, one of your windows breaks and rain starts coming in the window. Mm-hmm. And I, Happy to share that moment with me when that happened, but I'm curious for you. Like, when did the like the window break and you realized that it was way windier outside than you thought it was going to be? And now you're like, "Fuck, I don't think I don't know if I can do this."
1: Yeah. So, uh, my mother was released from the hospital and sent to a rehab clinic about mm-hmm. 45 minutes away from uh, where my parents live,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you know she was there to kind of get her sea legs, I guess, with with what, pardon me, this was going to be. So she was learning how to move from her bed over to the bathroom and how to, you know, like everything you need to do once you realize that your life is completely different. Um, And so even then, while she was there, you know, it seemed hopeful, you know, like she was learning how to drink thickened liquids and how to, you know, take care of herself in the way she was able to. Um, and all of that fell apart the moment she came home because our house was not built to accommodate a person with ALS. Um, and so, you know, my dad and I drove together to go pick her up and bring her home. And it was immediately clear to me, this is not going to work. And it was immediately clear to me that I could not go home again. So, you know, the very first night I was like, I'm going to stay overnight and just make sure that, you know, everything um, goes well. Uh, we had gotten her a hospital bed so she wouldn't have to, like, climb stairs, that she could sleep downstairs. I slept on the couch next to her. Um, and, you know, she, she couldn't get to the bathroom on her own. Uh, I, I had borrowed a walker. And so for the first few days she could get herself over to the bathroom with a walker and I'd be standing behind her just to make sure she didn't fall backwards. Um, But it just, the rate at which her body failed her was so baffling. And I remember your mom talking about how like she would come up with some sort of contingency and then almost immediately that contingency was no longer viable because the disease had already progressed. And so it was the same case with my mom where like every time we ordered something to help her where she was with her, the disease, mm. as soon as it arrived, even if it was overnighted, it was already useless. Like it was mm. unbelievable. Um, but so, you know, the, the wind breaking, uh, the window breaking and the wind coming in, like it was just immediate. I, I just, I had to call my boss and say, I'm not going to be in to work for the next foreseeable future. I have to take care of my mom my father is in his eighties. He could not lift her. He could not. And I think emotionally, he just, he, he just couldn't do it. (laughs) You know, even if I had just been like, okay guys, bye, good luck. Like I, I think it would have been a fiasco. Yeah. So, um, I was just immediately sucked into this weird tornado of what this is, you know? And, um, I am ultimately really glad I got to do that. I'm very thankful to my boss at the time for allowing me to take the time. Uh, Mm Um, I am really, really glad that as horrible as it was that I was able to strengthen my relationship with my mom by being her caretaker, Mm -hmm. I earned her trust, we got closer, Mm -hmm. We really didn't talk about feelings, like I said. You know, I, I would say, you know, how, Mama, how are you? And she's like, mm-hmm, Yeah, okay, I'm fine. She would apologize a lot. Mm-hmm. Apologize. I had to take care of her. Apologize that I had to help her on the toilet. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of thing. But
0: yeah, I mean, my my dad. Every time I asked my dad how he was doing, he would always, in his labored voice, just like he had a sense of humor about him. All. Pretty much right up until the end and, and he would always be like, I'm dying <laughs> Like how the fuck do you think I'm doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um uh, wh-
1: Did that help you, do you think? What's that? Did that humor help you, do you think? Like that kind I, of
0: I for me, yeah, humor in general mm-hmm. is something that I you know, I, I use to disarm other people but also myself and sort of uh dodge heavy emotional things if I can avoid it. Um, And my dad, too. Like, I think he he sensed that. And at the time, like, the situation you're describing is something I feel like my brother actually did. My brother was home. uh, He was going to, finishing a master's degree at at OU in Athens, Ohio at the time. And so he was home for, I think, like six months uh, during a chunk of time taking care of my dad because my mom was about to retire. And so she was still teaching full-time um, high school French and Spanish, and so my brother was home a lot with my dad um, when I I was on the road with soap percussion, and so I would come home every like three to six months, and, you know, I would see this progression go from, like you said, like, you know, he's walking to now he's got a walker, that's weird, and then now, oh, there's a walker, and now he's got a now it's got one of those walker with the seated chairs, and now oh, now it's a motorized chair, and now it's a crane, and now it's a Oh, now he's in a hospital bed. Now he's in a nursing home. Now he has a little piece of paper with an alphabet on it that he pu- spells things out. It was just like that progression for me. So even like yeah, my dad humor was a way he sort of was able to to deal with it. But you know, for me, I one of the things that still, if I you know, if I'm being honest with my therapist about stuff, like I would say one of the things that I appreciated about my dad the most was that he he was honest with me in one moment where as I was leaving to come back to, I think I was coming back to New York for something. I was, I was home for a couple days and it was like at his worst. And I think he knew it was the last time that I was going to see him in, in our home. He was, he had moved, he got moved to a nursing home after that. And he just, as I was leaving, well, literally walking out the door, he made a sound. And so I kind of poked my head back in and he just said, remember me the way I was. And, There's a part of me that I'm, like, really grateful for that because he was, like, it's something I have to remind myself a lot. But then, like, of all the things I remember, that was the hardest car ride. Like, getting in the car. I just remember getting in the car and, like, moving back, like, two feet in the car. Like, putting it in reverse, going two feet, and then stopping again and being, like, is this really? Am I really doing this? Is this, like, Mm. how the fuck... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like like aren't their credits supposed to roll right now like what what's happening and then i would drive a block and sit there and cry and then drive another mm-hmm. block and cry and it's like how am i going to get all the way back to new york <laughs> you know this is um that and then the the moment for me with the window breaking was um having to help my dad go to the bathroom and this is like this is definitely you know trigger warning here um
1: helping him
0: go number 2 on one of those yeah. those portable commode pots and again just the muscles you use to go to the bathroom are pushing muscle muscles if you can't use them anymore that means the stuff just sits inside of you and this was the moment where like uh, this is I, I think when when I, my mom recommended that book home home is fucking burning um, i think i told you dan marshall and he and it was like <laughs> It was a very helpful book at that time because my dad, I, I, my mom was like, you gotta, you gotta wipe your dad's ass. And I was like, okay. My my mom looked at me and she's like, he did it for you when you were a kid. So at least you, and I was like, okay, 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 okay. So I get in there to do it and he just turns and he looks at me and he keeps shaking his head no. And I'm like, what dad? Like, and he, he just kind of whispers, he's like, you gotta scoop it out. And I reached inside my dad and scooped it out and I. On you that moment, it felt like a weird violation. It felt like all of the things. And I was like, I'm not trained for this shit. I'm supposed to be playing John Cage's music, you know, like,
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, or whatever. Yeah.
0: And it's one of those things, like, I don't think I've told anybody in public about that, you know, but, but it changed. It made me. It made me more who I am today than I think a lot of other things in my life. And I'm curious for you if that, if there's any part of, and I, I don't know whether to regret that. I, I feel like there's days I'm pissed about that, that that's, why did that have to be the fucking thing that made me who I am? Wasn't there something better? Couldn't we have done, couldn't we have skydived or something? Like, <laughs> why that, you know? and
1: um, You know, here's my theory on that, is that, Yeah, it was a very, very real moment, and it was very, very awful. But in that moment, that is truly, truly intimate. This person is relying on you. Mm -hmm. You're doing what you need to do to help them be comfortable and safe and to preserve their dignity. Even if what you did felt like a violation and definitely felt undignified, you did it because that was what you could do for him. And I think, you know, death is a horrible, horrible thing. And especially if you have to watch somebody suffer on their way towards death. Mm-hmm. But, yes, I think, I think I have changed enormously in the past two years because of what happened with my mother and having to take care of her. It's something I didn't know I was capable of doing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something I was expecting to do until all of a sudden it was just the immediate crisis required it. And I stepped up and I did it. And my entire goal for the duration of her very, very short and violent illness was to help this dignified woman preserve as much of her dignity as she could have. And I felt like that was a very beautiful and profound mission.
0: I agree with you a hundred percent. Um, Can you, what for you, do you have any, I don't quite know how to ask the question. Um, Is there anything for you now that, well, let me ask, sorry, let's, let me ask one question then I want to ask another personal one. What, what was the moment, the moments leading up to her actual death? Like what, what were your feelings like at at, that, 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 at those moments?
1: Uh, So, my mother was very stubborn, which uh, definitely did not pass on to me. I don't have that at all. Um, (laughs) But she, literally up until 48 hours before her death, she was doing her PT and OT, occupational and physical therapy. Her body was wasting away. And she stuck with it and every, I mean it was like running up an escalator that was going down mm-hmm. there was no there there was no progression and in fact you were probably going down faster than you were going up so every time the PT guy came or the OT person came um you know she, she was like lifting a curtain rod like the lightest thing on earth and every time her session happened, it was harder and harder to do. And so like my sister who had, you know, come over from England and I, we just finally looked at each other and said, this has to stop. Like this, this is horrible, you know? And my mother was, you know, just not going to let go. And so it took us telling her like, it's time for you to focus on being comfortable and not on trying to fix this because you're not going to fix this. And she looked at us and she said, okay. Mm-hmm. And so we called hospice and hospice showed up and, you know, prescribed her adivan and morphine so that she could sleep at night and, you know, like mm-hmm. give it to her every few hours. And my mother, of course, like I gave her one dose and she didn't like it. So she didn't want to take any more. Um, They also said to, you know, stop giving her thickened fluids and just kind of give her water and an eyedropper. And so that first night was horrible. It was horrible because my mother was so thirsty. She was rejecting the the drugs. She did not want to take them. I was literally up every 10 minutes dropping little droplets of water into her mouth all night long. And she, like, finally at that point, it was getting harder for her to talk because she was getting so weak. Um, so she would just kind of go, uh, you know, and I'd know, like, oh, you know, even if I slept for 10 minutes in between this, like, as soon as I'd hear that, I'd have to be back up with the water. And um, it was so exhausting. And she was so exhausted by the end of it that the next morning we called the hospice nurse back and you know I said she needs help and this nurse I mean she I I cannot have enough respect for hospice nurses so she came in and she sat down by my mom and said you know do you want to rest are you tired and my mom like I've never seen her look at somebody so trustingly in my entire life And she just looked up at her, and she smiled at the nurse and nodded. And the nurse gave her the Ativan and morphine, and my mom drifted off into, you know, whatever that state is. And I took over giving her the meds again, and she died that night.
0: Uh, Was the hospice nurse there with you, or? no. She,
1: she left again. So my sister was there. Um, but my sister, my mother just really, I think because I'd been there during the entire progression and my sister only came, Mm -hmm. you know, later, uh, I had built up such a rapport with my mom in terms of the caretaking that I just kept doing it. My sister Mm -hmm. didn't and that's fine. Um, but I've, I've been around other people who've passed and, um, kind of was able to recognize the moment.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so at one point in the night, you know, I sleep on the couch next to my mom's hospital bed my sister was sleeping on the floor in the same room. And I woke up at one point and I, I noticed that my mom's breathing had changed. And so I woke up my sister and said, you know, we're, we're getting there. And so my sister and I held vigil. My father had said good night and goodbye essentially the night before he didn't want to be there when it happened. Mm. Um, and of course I forget what the piece is called, but my, my sister kept playing this one Schubert piece over and over again. Cause it was a piece my mother really enjoyed. Um, and you know, it's actually like the lyrics are about finding peace. Mm. Um, And at one point my sister had to go pee and you know, so I sat there with my mom and then I realized like, oh shit, I also really have to pee. And so I I got up and went to pee. And when I came back, I, I have this feeling that my mom died while I was in the bathroom and part of me feels like it was on purpose. I don't
0: know why. I think that's a very, that's a, I've heard that, I mean, my, my grandfather passed away um, when everybody went home to take a shower. Mm-hmm. Um, I think similarly, I don't, I, my, I think my mom was there with my dad when he passed, but I, but I, I do wonder, I don't know for sure, but I do wonder how much, right at the very end, how much. I don't even know if it's, like, awareness or just well, there's a I sense. Well,
1: I will tell you. I, sorry, I didn't mean Please, to no, 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 up, please. Okay. my best friend, Katie, uh, when, when she went into hospice in January of 2020, um, a bunch of us went and, like, rented an Airbnb, and, like, you know, we were all around to take care of her, and we held vigil, and when it came down to it, we were all in the room with her, and she was... I mean, she was just so ready to die, but she was not dying. She was just hanging on, hanging on, hanging on, you know, and we'd sit there and say, Katie, it's okay. You can let go. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And finally the hospice nurse said, you know, why don't you guys just try stepping outside the room for a minute? And we did. And she died. I think there may not be the awareness. Like I'm aware that I'm sitting here talking to you right now, but I think on some low level, maybe you have that, like, I'm going to do this my way.
0: I mean, you using those exact words, my dad. um, So the way my dad ended up passing was he was in a nursing home and um, had a catheter. And I think was basically he had attempted suicide once already. Um, He tried to pull a bag over his head and couldn't do it um, physically. Like he just couldn't actually do it my mom theorizes that my dad with whatever strength he had purposefully jiggled the catheter to cause bleeding,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, which is what he ended up bleeding out internally um, because of a cath, like the catheter scraped his bladder or something, yeah. you know? Um, oh God. The last thing he, on his little notepad with the alphabet, he just, he just tapped out the words my way. Like makes me want to cry just thinking about it, but like, that, that sort of last moment, and it's like it, this whole ALS has given me and you know I don't from what you've told me, your mom didn't have these particular things, but like, I feel differently about suicide now than I did before. My dad oh, gave yeah. ALS. Um, not, to, to be clear, if my therapist is listening, I'm not suicidal. <laughs> but, but I do, I do have way more empathy for people who do it their way than I did prior. My dad, too. My dad was very much like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, like, you know, stop being such a wuss, you know, like that sort of l- suicide is the lazy way out, you know, and or the selfish way out. You're goddamn right it is.
2: Because yeah.
0: you're not the one sitting in that chair. Right. You're not the and, one sit- shaking yeah. like a leaf and not able to talk to your, your loved ones or swallow or drink your, your malt milkshake that you love so much, you know? And of the things I think I'm shocked about, like, you know, when people talk about, Oh, go smell the, tr- you'll smell the flowers. You'll do all those things. It's like, I don't I don't know. Actually, the thing I got out of it is I'm kind of okay with suicide now. Like, like, is that like that? That's a, that's a weird, not okay. You know what I mean? Like, and I guess this leads me to like my last question for you. Um, cause I already robbed you of an hour and seven minutes of your life. No,
1: I don't care.
0: What do you personally, and this is a question I'm asking out just selfishly because I'm, it's loaded because I, I want you to help me here. What fears do you have now? Like, are you afraid of getting ALS? Do you have... Because it's clear now with me that it runs in my family. This yeah. is not... Maybe it is an environmental factor that I'm not aware of and that our family's not aware of and is totally random, but pretty sure it's floating around inside my bloodstream somewhere.
1: Mm-hmm. And it
0: terrifies the shit out of me, Anya. It is literally the thing that is on my mind when I'm teaching chamber music at NYU... When I'm drilling a steel band in Trinidad, when I'm on stage at Carnegie Hall with so percussion i'm i I have that thought everywhere, and so anybody who sees me doing something in public on the, on a podcast or whatever that thought crosses my mind i'm going to die of a l s and I cannot get it out of my head. I'm curious for you if if you have had have you dealt with that better than me i guess is my question
1: well i, I you know for what I can tell I think my mother's um ALS was random Mm -hmm. not familial uh nobody else in her family has had it Mm -hmm. yet at least um I think what's really changed for me like I think because there's no way of telling if it's familial unless we get tested and and I know your your stance on that um Mm -hmm. I, you know, I I don't know. I know that eventually I'm going to die of something. I know that I have a husband who's 14 years older than I am. And chances are that he'll die before I ever do. I don't have kids. I'll probably end up in some depressing nursing home somewhere (laughs) at some point, you know, and, and there is that my way part where it's like, you know what, if that's my future, I'll figure it out on my own. You know, I'll, I'll walk in the woods and get torn apart by coyotes. That sounds like a way better way to go.
0: <laughs> Honest to God. Yeah. It's, uh, that, yeah. Of all like, the things. At it's least like, that's
1: epic, you know.
0: <laughs> They'll find pieces of you strewn about yeah. the woods. Like, it'll be great.
1: Area, area crazy lady torn apart by coyotes. Fine by me. <laughs> um, the thing that I feel like I have learned through all of this, um, including my best friend and my mom, is I'm not afraid of death. I'm afraid of suffering. Hmm. Death is just another part of life. I mean, I guess so. is Suffering, but like, who knows what's next? I think Nobody knows what's next, and, and and I'm fine with that. And well, I'm not scared of that part.
0: One of the things that I I wish that I would have t- taken from my dad's strength, and that I I feel like you're taking from your mom's strength, but I'm not quite there yet. And you've you've only you you've had like less time to think about it than I have yet you're there quicker than me and that, that's, that's truthfully Anya, is why I wanted to talk to you today because you're my second, you're my second therapist in life <laughs> well, I'm very <laughs> um, honored you I and I have start. texted so we you astray. <laughs> so we, we've been texting in some fairly dark moments with each other but um, I think I, 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 I ask myself this every day I don't think I could do it I don't think I could do what my dad did I don't think, I, and, and maybe I'm not giving myself enough credit here, but like, I I was in the room with it. I know exactly what it looks like. Honeybee, I'm out. If that's if, if like, and that's the suffering part. Like
2: yeah. that
0: is a I've seen that version of it. And if I have a choice, no way, no way at all. And and I'm saying that like that's selfish of me to say. That's ignorant of me to say. It's it's all of the things. But like, man, oh man, like.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's so strange because there's always, like, the surprise in resiliency. Mm-hmm. You know, people get all these death sentences hung over their head all the time. And there are always examples of people who just somehow keep doing amazing, incredible things until they can't. You know, so there's one side where people are like, fuck this, I'm going to go anyway, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and then there are people who just give up. And neither one is the wrong thing Mm -hmm. to have something hanging over your head like that with no cure, with only one direction ultimately to move into. You just got to do whatever is right for you. Not promoting suicide.
0: No. Yeah. I I want to, I want to, I want to put another disclaimer in there.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I want to put another Um, disclaimer in there. I am not advocating this at all. I, what I want to be clear on here, if someone's going to take me out of context is that I have way more empathy for people who, for whom that is a thought, that is a last resort. That is like they've gotten to that point for many reasons. Some people valid, some people, you know, self-medicate. Like there's a million reasons why somebody gets to that point. But I've seen someone at that point close to me who I love. And it's not the only person who I know who's been at that point. And their justifications to me for those. Some of them I'm not going to argue with, like, no. you know, at least with my dad, I'm certainly not going to sit and look him in the face and be like, you know, you should really stick this out, you know,
1: Hang <laughs> <Hey laughs> there, buddy. you're not
0: giving it 110% dad. Remember to say, pull yourself <laughs> up by your bootstraps. Like, I know you can't actually put your boots on anymore, but like, you know, anyway, that that's the last disclaimer I'll put on suicide. But like, yeah, I, I don't know, Anya, I, I'm not so sure if I was, um, too clunky in this time here. And I don't know if we got to anything uh, helpful to other people, but I think if anything, one it's of the helpful things. Helpful to me. Well, good, good. Well, I pre- yeah. Me too. Me too. Um, one of the things that was shocking to me about ALS, looking into it initially, was how um, niche of a disease it is. However, I'm shocked that how many people I know that. For whom it has intersected in their life, and mm-hmm. I will say that the were it not for ALS, we would not have met each other. Were it not yep. for ALS, just to end on an up note, I mean, I, I've said a few things about my mom being an authoritarian or all these like I, my mom. My mom is a motherfucking beast. She and, sounds
1: great. I really enjoyed that episode with her,
0: and she's now living with and dating my uncle who is my aunt who passed away of Lou Gehrig's disease. It it was her, his wife.
2: Okay, yeah. So he's not
0: my blood uncle. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: He was just the guy that was watching the Lions football game every Thanksgiving as a kid growing up. And now it's like, you know what? At the end of the day, if my mom is happy as a clam, my Uncle Terry is happy as a clam, having both gone through this insanely ridiculous experience, then maybe... I'll be happy as a clam. Maybe you'll be happy. Maybe your dad, like there's something will come of this. And I'm already noticing the things that have come out, come come of it because of the experiences that I've personally had to go through. And I'm very grateful that Sarah put us in touch. Um, I'm very grateful that you reached out to Sarah. You know, sometimes this stuff hits and people just clam up and don't want to tell anybody about it because it's embarrassing or it's you feel no one would understand, but you told Sarah and Sarah told me and that, yeah,
1: well, you know, just on that note to interrupt you again, um, Mm -hmm. Sarah found out only because my mom was beginning to be symptomatic when I did my first shoot with Sarah. So Uh Sarah had found out about me somehow, wanted to hire me to do, um, publicity art for her, um, mass for the endangered. And, um, You know, she's a lovely, lovely, lovely human being. And I I feel like I must have mentioned that, you know, I was down in Princeton Mm -hmm. during this time where stuff was weird with my mom. And then I think we stayed in touch and she found out that it was ALS. And she immediately, I think, wrote an email to both of us and was Mm -hmm. just like, hey, you two talk to each other. So Mm -hmm. I'm very, very thankful for that, especially because you didn't know who the hell I was. And you let me just talk at you on the phone. And, you know, you, you told me your experience and,
2: you know, I remember
1: even then that you were just like, you know, I'm sorry if I'm so crass, you know, but this is the reality of the disease. And I really, really appreciated that you did not sugarcoat anything
2: Hmm.
1: because everybody's going to be like, well, you know, you got to make the best of it. And, you know, and, and you're like, no, this fucking sucks. Mm -hmm. you're going to hate this. You're going to hate your life. You're going to hate everything. And I needed that. I needed to hear exactly that because just pulling the wool over your eyes is not helpful. And it was easily the hardest time in my life.
0: Sometimes I, uh, you know, after getting off the phone with you, the, I mean, cause we, this was during the pandemic. I mean, this was like, you know, over the summer, of, this is the summer of George Floyd. This is like mm-hmm. when all of this chaos, like everything was burning down out, everywhere, everywhere. People were protesting. We were all afraid of the existential threat of COVID. And like, um, and I felt like in those moments, like I wanted you, I felt bad after getting off the phone. I was like, fuck, I feel like I just told her she's like, uh, you know, but I kind of was like, well, if she walks in and she's like, well, this isn't as bad as he th- said it was going to be, then great. (laughs) You know, totally great. Totally great. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, well, just to wrap up, is there, I mean, for you now, like I also had a moment after my dad's death where I felt like, okay, well now it's my responsibility to be an advocate for the stricken. Like it, this is my lot in life now. Like if I'm not out pounding the payment for my dad for a cure, then I'm a bad son that's objectively false um, and not a healthy way to see the world necessarily but I'm there were a couple like the ice bucket challenge happened and I was like that's right you know we're posting about so did one there's still no cure and that's you know I, I I'll own a little bit of that but like what for me, I there there are some resources like ALS.org um, and some places that I will look from time to time just to see what's happening. Um, do you do – is there anything that you're now sort of more aware of and keeping track of now that your mom was, was diagnosed with this that is helpful? Like if folks, folks want to learn about what this is and why it's named after Lou Gehrig. Like, you know, he he demonstrated – the reason it's called Lou Gehrig is because he was running around the bases and people were like, you're running weird, bro and he's like oh, i'm fine and then he tripped yeah. over a base once you know and it's like man your feet aren't working so well you know and it's like now those same questions are now being asked to your mother and my dad like well your feet aren't working so well uh, yeah. ma'am you know where where can folks go if they want to what do you recommend folks go if they want to learn more about
1: this disease so you know i'm you know whenever i see a headline about it i'll read about it um i am absolutely not active on Twitter, but I'll look on Twitter and I follow people who either have ALS or do research Mm -hmm. into it. Um, Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I I want to say uh, that you feeling like you need to um, kind of beat the drum and, and do your part. I absolutely feel like you fulfilled at least part of that by becoming my friend um i I really think that you were just such a tremendous resource period, mm-hmm. knowing that there's somebody else who had gone through what I did mm-hmm. and who I could just you know i I still randomly text you mm-hmm. like I emptied out a storage space and came across you know the 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 um depends my mom wore at the end, like mm-hmm. I still had the box of it in storage, and I finally was able to throw it out but mm-hmm. um it sucked. And I texted you and you were there for me. And that was really, really meaningful.
0: Um, well, it's mutual. I mean, I've texted you some, I mean, there's, there's some things that only someone who's gone through this can understand, you know? And yeah.
1: Yeah. And, even, and you are that person for me because, yeah. you know, yes, I, I know people whose uncle had it, but they weren't in the trenches with it, you know? And, um, this is, you know, my husband, came and helped me out, but this is my mom, you know like I don't know it's yeah. I lost the parent to that and you lost the parent to that, and you know uh in terms of my own feelings about like oh, I gotta be all good about a l s awareness and whatnot, i don't know that there's anything special that I can contribute, I think more than anything um my My personal art has just become very existential, Mm -hmm. and I think that there's constantly a meditation for myself on what this all means. And it's not ALS-specific. It's just about death and existence.
0: I want to end today with two recommendations of artists to check out. One is you. Um, and I think you know, as you were taught, like, am I misdiagnosed, Did I misdiagnose anything when I was saying like when I was when I was sort of painting with a very broad brush about your art earlier? Like, um, there's a sense, there is an undercurrent of like maybe this is wrong, decay or patina mm-hmm. on the edges. You know, like you, you, some of your some of your stuff looks like those old like tin type those daguerreotype like the, like on the edges. I just feel like there's a, there's some character there that I'm not describing accurately. Um, But I feel like the, either consciously or not, that is coming through in your art. And I'm, and I'm, I would recommend that people check out your stuff. If maybe not to be like, I'm going to go learn about ALS and look at Anya's art, (laughs) but it's in there. If I'm not mistaken, if I'm tracking things, you know, there's, there's little, that decay is not am I, am I misdiagnosing anything in there? No, like, no, you're not.
1: I, I feel like I, you know, uh, in speaking of a camera as the extension of your eyes, which are your brain. Um, mm-hmm. I think that the way I see the world is just very much. There's a big part of me who thinks it's completely absurd that we're here at all. <laughs> yeah. And I think that part of me has always existed mm. since my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been very interested in existence and I've always been very, very interested in the entire history of humanity trying to make sense of that existence, Mm -hmm. which turned into religions, which turned into Mm -hmm. art, which turned into expression. Um, I love that part of humanity, even though I don't love humans. Um, but I do think that, In all of my photography, I think there is that moodiness or remove Mm -hmm. where I'm kind of looking at everything. I think there's always some sort of weird distance in my work, Mm. like a separateness of of trying to put something. It's like a like a um, slide in a microscope, I think.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm just trying to figure it out. And I think maybe that somehow translates in my work. I don't know.
0: Well, I highly recommend people go check out your stuff on Instagram. Um, And your last name is S-C-H-U-T-Z?
1: Yes, indeed. A-N-J-A.
0: A-N-J-A, Anya Schutz. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, I I, I think I've recommended him to you. He's a comedian named Michael Lehrer. Um, Yes. His comedy is NSFW, Not Safe for Work. Just again, just warning folks. He is somebody that, uh, there's a show called Kill Tony, on um, It's Tony Hinchcliffe who's a comedian um, I think he lives in Austin now And it's a show where people He draw, draw names out of a hat And comedians will go to the show And hope their name gets drawn out They, get, they go up and they get to do one minute of stand up And then Tony gives them comments And kind of roasts them and then they go on And the whole point is to watch people Go up and bomb basically Like amateur comedians go up and bomb Well Michael Lehrer got his name drawn out and they were like, "Why is he taking so long to get to the stage?" While well, he had ALS, and they were trying to get him up there in his wheelchair, and he gets up there and he gives this hilarious minute. And Tony makes him a regular, a regular on the show. And this was like, this was like, I want to say like May of twenty twenty, like right in the heat of the pandemic when we all realized we were locked inside. Um, and Michael came on my podcast because I saw him do a few a few sets on Kill Tony, and I I messaged him and and we did a podcast and i followed him through the last two years. And now, just for anybody who wants to see this progression in real time of what ALS does to somebody, Michael is, has it, and it's progressing in him very typically in the way that it, on average, in the way it manifested with my dad. And I think Michael's had it for a lot longer than maybe. I think he's had it like for four or five years now, maybe. It's gone slowly slowly in him. But go watch Kill Tony from... Back in 2020 and watch it now, and just you'll see the progression of Michael, the way his voice sort of decays over time. Also, he's just fucking hilarious and irreverent, and he makes fun of himself. People make fun of him, they make fun of his. Like, it's all of the things that I believe comedy, when I talk about the humor with my dad, like the way he disarms, and I think the way he's dealing with it for himself. I highly recommend people check it out um, just as a way to sort of learn about, A, not only the disease, but how people deal with it um, and how Michael is dealing with it. Uh, your mom deal, dealt with it in her way. My dad dealt with it in his way. And Michael is dealing with it in a very public way that actually isn't garnering a lot of attention in the ALS world if there is such a world, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, he's one of the few people with that disease who's doing something in a very public manner right now. And so I just I really recommend folks check his, his, his work out. Um, but Anya, I I want to give you the last word here because I've rambled a bit here at the end. Um, is there anything you want to say to wrap up here? Uh, I've robbed you now of almost an hour and a half of your time, and I apologize, but it's been really great. Uh, yeah,
1: I've, I've really that. enjoyed
0: this. Is there anything you want to say to wrap up? You
1: know, there really isn't because I don't have any answers. You know, it, mm-hmm. this, this, uh, I think hit both of us out of the blue, mm-hmm. changed our lives. We'll never be the same. Mm-hmm. We both are aware of ALS now. Yeah, I will tell you, I will tell you that years ago when the, ice spoke challenge was a thing, you know, I did it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what the hell ALS was. I mean, I had a abstract idea, you know, Lou Gehrig's disease knew about Lou Gehrig. Mm-hmm. Didn't ever imagine it would affect me. Yeah. I did the thing as a lark because it was funny. I had ice water thrown over my head. I got to scream on video. Yay. (laughs) To have that then become a defining thing in my life and completely change my reality forever. I think my one thing, my one real big regret is that I did this challenge without understanding the actual cost of the disease. Mm. And I won't ever do anything like that again without actually doing my research. Because this was a very, very bitter thing to learn. Mm.
0: I have many thoughts on what you just said, but I will leave it I will I will leave I will leave you with the final thought. Anya Schutz, thank you so so much. And for the record, I the door here is always open, and if you're yeah, having a, if you're having a bad day, or there's some something you want to talk about, or if you just want to come on and talk about a specific series of works you're working on, and we don't have to talk about ALS, that's also totally fine. And I would love to do that. Um, please stay in touch, and I would love desperately now that we've. We've talked over text. We've talked over Zoom. It would. It's now incumbent upon us, and I will take fifty percent responsibility to make it happen in person over a drink.
1: Fifty percent, huh? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll, all right. Fifty-one.
0: I'll take. You only have forty-nine percent responsibility. It's my podcast, Great. so I'll take. I'll take more. More. Uh, more responsibility here, Anya. Thank you so much for your time. Stay healthy, and please give. You know, uh, I know I haven't met your dad, um, but give your dad and your sister my best and all the love in the world. And until next time. Yeah.
1: Thanks for being my buddy.
0: All right, likewise. Thank you, Anya. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Liquid Drum. Liquiddrum.com down in Waco, Texas. Uh, My good friend Todd Meehan runs an amazing percussion company down there. Great merch, great content. Check them out. Liquiddrum.com. Also, Kyle Dunleavy, dunleavypans.com, D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y-pans.com. Kyle Dunleavy makes and builds all the steel drums that I perform and teach on, in so percussion, as well as at NYU and Princeton. Uh, He's an amazing, amazing tuner builder, um, just a really nice guy, very dependable. Check him out. If you are interested at all in steel pan advocacy, uh, want to learn more about the goings on uh, in pan in Brooklyn, check out paninmotion.com. My good friend, Kendall Williams, uh, Jerry Guy, Trisha Guy, and uh, Arisha John run an amazing organization called paninmotion.com. Check them out. And finally, Alejandre Mirage runs an amazing uh, clothing apparel company in Brooklyn that is steel pan centric. You can check him out at Chow Clothing.com. I own a bunch of his shirts. They're amazing, very stylish, uh, beautiful, beautifully made. Check them out. MangoChowClothing.com Okay, hope you're well. Talk to you soon. Bye.